like everyone says ship code faster it's empty it's an empty statement it's like the aim of every dev tool pretty much is to help you ship code faster you yeah. haven't told me anything about your tool at this point hi everyone you're listening to scaling dev tools we're joined today by zach goldie who is a dev tools messaging consultant welcome zach hey jack good to be here thanks for inviting me I want to dive straight in to something that I find really interesting. Uh, we've had uh, Superbase on the podcast before, a couple of times actually. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they shared was that in the early days, they were marketing themselves as real-time Postgres and things weren't like taking off. And then at some point, they kind of, they on, on a whim, they rebranded as like... Mm-hmm open source Firebase alternative and their whole trajectory just changed. And I think it was kind of the turning point for them. And you're an expert in this kind of area. And I wanted to hear why do you think that that worked? Yeah. Yeah. That was, I listened to that episode and it was definitely a fun little bit because especially they are talking about like finding product market fit and how when it clicks, things do often suddenly take off. But I think it was my suspicion. Most of why I've heard people talk about product market fit is often in terms of kind of the feature set and the core like functionality of the product itself. Whereas this was more about what I think of a bit more as kind of the message market fit or positioning fit where even though the product was the same, just the way that they talked about it clicked more with people, even though it's the same features, which is always a hard one to do. And like, there's no, like, I'm never going to pretend like here's the one way to do a thing because life's never that simple, um, especially in marketing. So the sounds of it is you often hear about kind of, you hear about pain points and kind of people's struggles where there's definitely different dialogue, like, what's the word, different like levels of pain that someone can feel about an issue. There's some things that we're like, even that we're aware of, but they're not enough of a fuss to be a priority. We all have those kind of, that sore, whatever body part, that we're like, oh, maybe we should go to the doctor and get it checked out, but life's busy and I can't be bothered right now. It's like, even though we're aware of it and we know it's kind of bothering us, we don't care enough to fix it. And with kind of real-time, what is it, real-time progress, maybe... Even it's like, yeah, maybe we could use that to build this feature that we kind of had in mind, but then I'd have to learn this whole like new bundle of stuff. And like, it's not enough of an issue for people to go, yes, that's what I need. Especially if it ties into, I don't know, that area well enough, whether there were already kind of free open source, kind of whatever off the shelf things that people will be like, I'll just use that to get started. That will do for now. So it's kind of, are there already free options that we're doing that? There's might have been better than the free options, but maybe people didn't care enough to upgrade, which is a thing I see quite a lot is that like you are competing a lot of the time against a free version. Yeah. So it's that, whereas the, the what is it, open source Firebase alternative clearly just hit more of an active pain point that was frustrating people that was getting more of like a, oh yeah, I really like, need to make that change because it's having actual implications for me in the short term so it was more of a high up the to-do list which i'd be curious what what made them decide on that path in general because i don't think they talked about that aspect of the story but i think finding that like 
okay, people say that this is a nice to have, but it's not resonating with them that much. Maybe we need a dramatic change is just such a cool part of their story. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see a lot of companies that like kind of position themselves against like the big kind of player in the space? I think often websites often kind of, I think in terms of, even if you're not doing it intentionally, there's an inbuilt way that you are talking when you are coming up with your website, which I think a very common default in like B2B in general is to talk as if they're an eager first time buyer, as if they haven't used this kind of thing before. And they're definitely looking for a solution of the kind that you have, which is an easy trap to fall into. It's a bit of the kind of um, selling the drill, not the whole kind of vibe. It's like, yes, clearly someone vaguely wants a hole already and they're looking for a drill. It's like, I get that, but that's often not the case. It's more of a, especially in things like dev tools, maybe they've already got an old drill and they're thinking of upgrading to a better one because the first one they bought was just like a cheap and cheerful one, which kind of can drill some holes. But now they're looking to like, for whatever reason, drill through bloody titanium or something. So actually what you need to sell is the ability to drill holes in new tougher materials, which is a very different pitch. So yeah, I think a lot of dev tools either pitch themselves as if they're a first time buyer looking like very much looking for a new solution or the set like similar, definitely looking for a new solution, but for probably using a competing software, like competing against Datadog of like, oh, the cheaper alternative to Datadog. It's like a thing that I've definitely seen in places. Yeah. So where, where would you start? Like if you're, if you're kind of like a dev tool and you've got um, a message and maybe you've like, you feel like you've kind of invented something new. I feel mm-hmm. like there's a lot of the challenge comes because we're trying to like invent things. If you know it's not working, yes. how would you kind of go about landing on the right message? Yeah. So I've, I've always viewed, I think I'm weird in the marketing world because I like the kind of puzzle aspect of, I like the kind of thinking about the customer and what they're doing, what they've tried already, why it's failed, and then think about the product and kind of what does it do? How is it different? So I always start with that kind of customer side, which in particular, I think in terms of kind of what's their current scenario of like how are they already tackling the projects? Like, are they often, yeah, are they using a free version way of doing the prob- problem? Because if so, what's the issue? Often you're not solving the end goal. I'm going to stick with monitoring tools. So the monitoring tools, the end problem that you're solving isn't like spotting downtimes and like fixing those issues because they've already got a way of doing that. The problem is that the way of doing that kind of sucks or is expensive or is complicated. Like, the problem is often the way that they're solving the bigger problem. I see. So you're not trying to say, hey, we'll help you reduce downtime. You're mm-hmm. saying, we'll help you reduce downtime at a cost you can afford or like mm-hmm. s- stop wasting money on. Or well, we won't give you 1,000 dashboards that you don't know what to do with. Well, like mm. maybe it's that like their current main option is overpowered and they don't like I've seen some tools that aim to kind of fill that gap between the free version versus the overpowered enterprise version. So you can be like, look, we'll help you like upgrade from the free version, but without all the like costs and complications and needing a whole team just to use the like really expensive version. 
Yeah, that's actually a really, really valid point because I feel like a lot of us always want to feel like we are almost like the pioneers and there are no other like, you know, acceptable ways to solve <laughs> this problem. Yeah, um, especially I think a lot of dev tools are aiming to replace an existing step of workflow. A lot of the time they're not doing something that's completely new, which is like completely valid. It's a better way to do your CI workflow. It's not, here's a whole new, completely different way to deploy your code base. And even that would be replacing the old way of deploying your code. Yeah, that's, uh, that me, yeah, that makes sense. So let's say you kind of are figuring out like, um, okay, the monitoring, so you're going to mm -hmm. solve monitoring in a way that doesn't involve a thousand dashboards. Um, yes. Then how would you think about how to kind of communicate that in a way that people would engage with? Mm -hmm. Firstly, it's always a, like a tricky challenge does often involve talking to people, like working out what is actually the headaches that they care about in terms of monitoring the solutions in that case, what are the bits specifically that annoy them? Because there might be some things that bothered you, but not them, I think is often the trap that people fall into. It's like, oh yeah, this was really annoying me. And then they talk to other people. I saw a discussion recently of a dude who'd made like, I think that was a CI tool that was all about like reducing the time for all the tests to run. And a bunch of responses on Reddit were just like, eh, I'm quite happy having a 15 minute break while I saw my test run. So it gives me a chance to go get a coffee. And it's like, it kind of is a problem, but I think you needed to look at a different aspect of the area to be like, okay, this is the bit that we actually need to solve. So I'd always start there before looking at the, okay, so go always more into the details of say, okay, it's easy to use. Everyone says easy to use. It's one of my most hated phrases. It's either fast or easy to use or both. <laughs> like. I saw there was a good like meme on the programmer humor humor subreddit. It was like the Batman slap with Robin saying ship code faster and Batman being like a shut up slap around the face because like, everyone <laughs> says ship code faster. It's empty. It's an empty statement. It's like the aim of every dev tool pretty much is to help you ship code faster. Yeah. It's like so many B2B tools say grow your revenue. It's like, that is the aim of literally essentially every B2B. Like you haven't told me anything about your tool at this point. Um, and yeah, in the comments for that meme, there was lots of discussions about like the kind of what you say versus what people hear of like, you say ship code faster. They hear caveat, caveat, caveat. It's like the, in ads, when you get the little asterisks of like terms can like 80% sale, asterisk, terms and conditions apply, per customers must purchase at competing stores only and wearing two items of purple or whatever silly caveats are in there. <laughs> like there's the developer equivalent of like, yeah, easy to use caveats so long as you're using an ideal use case and have no conflicting dependencies or these kind of, what actually, <laughs> gonna take a little breath. So I think at that point it's okay, so Hopefully you've got your pain points. There's the things that people care about and the aspects of your product that kind of match into that. Like, okay, part of it is that the free version doesn't scale well. 
it's like, okay, you can just say works at scale, but like, what does that mean? How can you, and I think there's a path there with like easy to use or scales or fast that people often, I think, write it and instinctively maybe know it's not that convincing. And you've got two like branches you can go down. The one that I think is more obvious, but less effective is kind of hyping up the language, which is where you get these really fluffy statements. I've got. So lightning fast. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's, I should really stop like dissing on its circle or CI on one of their pages, have the phrase, what is it? Deploy at the speed of creativity. Oh yeah. I saw that. Guys, that's what like and i think that comes from the sense of knowing that what you've written isn't that compelling so one kind of solution is to add some like more exciting language about it or explaining why that's a good thing i think you often get the like saves you time and therefore you have more time to ship ship features not fix whatever like I've seen the, so you have more time to ship features as quite a big one. It's like, that's explaining the obvious guys. Yeah. So I think there's a big thing about over explaining the bits that are actually obvious versus under explaining that. How does it help you save time? Like what steps does it actually let you skip? Like I've got API plant where they're all about API integration. It's like, it's not just, it's faster. It lets you skip. Like, so you no longer have to get lost in what is it kind of error handling and rate limiting and all of these kind of aspects. It's like pull out the details of how it's faster, not try and explain why faster is good. Yeah. Which possibly yeah. sounds obvious once I say it, but I see that trap all the time. Yeah. Cause it's not that saying fast is bad because mm-hmm. like, for example, I see like bun, if you've seen bun.sh, uh, they're like kind of rebuilding. Uh, I've not used it, but I think it's like kind of a, you know, alternative to using node essentially, mm. but like everything is faster and it seems like almost all of their marketing is essentially Jared, the founder, like demonstrating like what features he, what clever like tricks he's written mm. into the code that make, make it run way faster. Um, and how fast you can write tests and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and it seems to be really popular, that kind okay. of stuff. Um, That's good. Yeah, it's always nice to see those evidence. And even evidence is a tricky one. Like that circle CI thing that I rip on has a little speed comparison of like running a build on them versus other things. But I'm like, you could be like, oh, well, that was probably just like a one-time use case that was probably tuned to their system. And it's like, it wasn't averaged over a hundred different users self-reporting, blah, blah, blah. It's like, even there, like providing evidence to get past that skepticism is kind of hard. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> I mean, that's on a case by case basis. It's kind of, it will be how well could you prove that it's not just in like you cherry picking data or what details can you give to say that like, Maybe it's written on a faster language or something or in a different way or got more of this, that, or the other. Sometimes competing on specs is valid. If yours just is more powerful because X, Y, Z, you can say so. Like it's a little bit of a hard one to give a blanket statement, but it's what I often end up doing a lot of. It's like 
going through like articles, technical articles of clients written, like written, go through maybe if they've had like YouTube webinar or whatever, and they've like talked it through in a more natural way. What do they mention that makes it faster or better or easier or like scale better? Kind of pick through those details of exactly why it does the claim that you say it's doing. Yeah, it seems like these are kind of hard things like when i've been working on like a landing page for ideas Mm -hmm. it's so easy to get caught in that trap of like fast built by developers for developers stuff like meaningless things (laughs) this yeah i think curse of knowledge comes into play quite a lot if you've heard of that concept uh no (laughs) ah curse of knowledge i came across this in i think it was made to stick by chip and dan heath was the book where they talk about when you know what you're talking about, you can say a statement and you like have the unsaid paragraphs of information behind it. Like I can say, I help my clients create pages that are more relevant to their readers. And I know what I mean by that, but that can mean a whole load of things to the other person and what they interpret that to mean and can mean a lot of confusion like what do you mean by more relevant do you mean that it's like personalize their names in there or it can yeah be interpreted in a hundred different ways because i knew what i meant by that like short phrase but the other person doesn't yeah and that comes into play a lot where it's like oh yeah it scales more easily it's like you know what you mean by that and why it scales more easily and everything else but the reader doesn't especially when you start adding slightly fuzzy words such as developer experience in there. It improves developer experience. It's like, in what way? That's quite a big topic. Yeah. So if someone was uh, kind of working on like a landing page Mm. um, and they had a very short amount of time, um, so you mentioned like going to speak to someone, uh, speak to like customers and try and... Mm -hmm obviously find something that seems to actually be important. Um, but assuming they kind of have done that, like how, how is there, are there any kind of like, um, sort of things that you'd recommend just like working through or like, is it really case by case? Uh, no, there's definitely, I do have a whole, like going to slightly plug. I have a whole like messaging guide on my site that people can go read that kind of walks through this and there's, not too long a format. Um, so yeah, a lot of the time, the people I talk to, the clients do know enough about their customers. It's just that they haven't kind of pulled out and formatted the information the right way. So like talking to new people always isn't that necessary. Um, I'd always start with the like, okay, sit and think about the user, your ideal people, like what are they using already? What are they annoyed about? If they've tried something and it, failed them and now they might be skeptical about a new version that claims to do the same thing why would like because that's a whole like getting around that jadedness how do you get past that i think thinking about or like take a while to think about the objections people might have like why might they go "Mm, that sounds good but like why might they doubt you and how if you were talking to them face to face like pretend you were just talking to them forget about writing a website for a while if they were to be like, mm, yeah, but how does, or what does it do in this use case? Or what about if I need to integrate it with, like, think about all the ways that someone might be like, mm, yeah, but 
and what you would answer to each of those. Then go from there into the like, okay, so what are like key like problem solution pairings and what are the issue and how do I solve it? I tell people I find, I think it's quite a big challenge, but it's an obvious thing, easy thing to do of when writing website content, you're essentially doing two things at once because there's two stages in my head of there's deciding what to write about and how to write it. I'm pointing at my fingers so everyone in the podcast can't see me doing that, but I am. (laughs) Yep, I shouldn't write. So I think that's very hard to do both of those things at once. I would always say, I can't do this on a screen. I have to do it still on pen and paper. I'll sit there and jot out key points and then like they'll kind of, then a few sub points for each one of like, what are the ele- like what's the evidence or the detail that would support that point of like here's a claim and here's the evidence to, evidence to reinforce it and that's the that's the what you would write about yes um, that becomes the the claims essentially become the sub subheadings of like each section down the site and the content becomes the evidence for that claim i think it also becomes a bit con- if you're skipping that step I think one thing I see on a lot of websites is you'll get a subheading and then one sentence that's relevant to that sub subheading and then a second little paragraph that's actually about something different that they didn't have space to mention anywhere else. So they're just going to mention it here. Is that bad? It's not ideal. It becomes a bit of a... Their aim should be that people can get the general idea by getting the sub, by just skimming the subheadings. I think it also makes it I've got a little gripe about like copy length and word count where people worry about too many words. But firstly, people like developers will read several thousand word articles about one niche, little coding, whatever, like tiny thing. Like people do read if it's interesting to them. Yeah. There's a good, um, what's the name? There was a film critic, Roger Ebert, Egbert, something like that, who has a quote about, no good movie is too long and no bad movie is too short. It's like, <laughs> it's yep. like the issue isn't just the amount of words on the page. It's, is it engaging and relevant? Yeah. Like as soon as something becomes a bit fluffy or you get a bit lost on like how these points relate to each other and it's darting all over the place, you start skimming. Cause why would you not start skimming at that point? And as soon as you've like hit that fluff trap, you've essentially lost them no matter how short the rest of the page is. Yeah, that's actually such a good point. I feel like so much of it is like laziness. Like when someone reviews, when someone first looks at like a site you made, landing page, Mm -hmm. a lot of the feedback you get, they're like, what's this? And then half the time I'm like, oh, well, I couldn't really think of anything to write. So (laughs) I just put something in there. Yeah. I definitely don't stand by this statement. That's fair. And I kind of get similar things sometimes. I'm like, mm, I feel like I need a second point to support that statement just because otherwise that section will look too short. And I kind of sit there and like, okay, but what would actually be relevant? How can I expand this in a way that is meaningful? Like I kind of get close to that myself. I'm like, I think this just needs a little bit of extra text or a little less extra. How can I cut it down without making it just seem a bit fluffy? Kind of hitting that balance is a tricky one. Yeah, this is really good. So 
and that is kind of so you would start with that as the what mm-hmm. then what what is the how um, the how <laughs> partly a matter of practice partly there's a lot of don't try to sound like a marketer which sounds obvious because i don't think anyone does but there's a lot of how would you describe it to a person like if you were talking across the table to someone like imagine you were just writing it out as you were talking to someone in your head what would you be writing you probably wouldn't write the kind of sales style hyped up like slightly empty claims because you know you would sound like a tool (laughs) (laughs) so i'd always and i think that's why kind of the business casual style of writing has propagated quite heavily across all of the SaaS SaaS market, even outside of DevTools, because it's just like business speak is annoying. Um, So I'd always think about that. I would always think about how much do I need to pitch like the feature versus the benefit? Will it be obvious if I just say it does this, why that's a good thing? Do I need to explain why that's a good thing or not? Which, yeah, I think we've already discussed that article. Yeah. Do you need to point out why the good thing is a good thing or not? There's always a big one. And if yes, do you need to like go up a layer in terms of abstraction? Do you need to and the client where it was to do like Git hooks? And they was like, oh yeah, we have automatic Git hooks or something on those lines. And that was fine, but it wasn't obvious. That was one of the actually more unusual cases of like it wasn't obvious why that's useful. They had to like point out that it meant that you could like force your team to run local tests before deploying or something along those lines. It's like, sometimes if that's more on a feature by feature base, is it innovative enough that you need to point out the point of the feature? If not, can you just say some stats about it and people will go, oh, it lets you like not have to do this thing that I hate doing. You don't have to say why not doing the thing is good. Yeah. And do you think about a specific person when you're doing these? Like when you say like, oh, it's obvious it's obvious or it's not obvious. I guess that kind of slightly depends like who you're talking to as well. Yeah, it will depend a bit on I think that comes back a bit to uh, are you aiming for users already using an existing tool or someone trying it for the first time? Because someone who's already using a competing tool might have come up against the bad version of this feature and know why it's annoying versus someone who hasn't used like a feature of that style might not know really the point of it. So it will depend a bit on your target audience. I don't think of like an, ind- an individual like person sitting across from me, but I have that kind of level of familiarity in mind. That makes sense. Are there any kind of like examples where like of dev tools that have just like really good uh, copy um, pages that you would recommend, especially if it's like for a startup? So not like, um, you know, huge company yeah. where they have like a gazillion different product lines and stuff. I feel like I should know some examples off the top of my head, but I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> like okay. yeah. there's, I've definitely seen a lot. I just don't always remember the name of them, which is quite annoying now. Um, I think it's hard to know because it's hard to know without the context, partly because I am not a developer. So a lot of the time when they say, oh, it does this thing as an outsider, I'm like, 
that sounds cool, but it's only when then like talking to the clients that I am able to realize why it's good or bad. Like, yeah, that's actually interesting. So it's not inherent, the obvious. Yeah. Like you can write copy that sounds good and is generally, I guess that's two facts of it. Is it like well-written and generally kind of does well in the whole like balancing product versus features versus is it well-targeted in its pitch? It's a different layer. Like it's hard to know, are these problems that you're addressing actually problems that people care about? Yeah. Because even, yeah, especially not as a developer, some it's hard to know without talking to like the developers who made it. Some might be obvious to other developers where you're like, oh yeah, it says it does this, but I don't care about saving 15 minutes off my CI time. Why are you talking about this? So yeah, I think the question to me is more the priority of, is it matching the pain points and the priorities of people versus I kind of see words as a delivery mechanism. Like the words are there only to deliver that like general high level pitch. Yeah. I don't care too much about them being like nicely written with good grammar or anything else. That that doesn't matter that much compared to. That's the icing on the cake. That's the line <laughs> I check to clients that that's like the last 10% I do is the actual words themselves. Yeah. That, that makes sense. How do you know if it's, if it's good? Um. <laughs> That's always a tough one. Um, I love a good AB test, even though they have their limitations. It's always satisfying to hear that kind of it's doubled conversions versus the old version of the page or something along those lines is probably just the main key one. Um, you can't really know without testing. I haven't got that far into doing user testing, but it is an area that I'm interested in. There's various like B2B website review services where they'll make a panel to kind of feedback on the site, which is quite cool. I've done that just a little bit and it's quite nice to hear people go, oh yeah, that is kind of a thing that we struggle with. But even that does have its limitations of people aren't very good at saying why they don't like a thing. Yeah. People are like using music as an example of like, I can play you a band that are kind of decent, but not that great. And you'll know they're decent, but not that great. But unless you're also a musician, it's hard to actually pinpoint why. Uh, you yeah. might be able to be like, well, the singer's a bit out of tune or whatever. But even then, maybe they are in tune. It's just like, unless you know th- about things like phrasing, you might not know that it's because the drum is going and it's making the whole thing drag. Like, You'll know if something's good or bad, but not why. And I think that applies to websites as well. Like a lot of the time people will be like, it's too expensive. I don't want to buy it. But what they actually mean is they don't really understand the point of it or why it's worth buying, which isn't the same as it's being too expensive. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a thing that was actually a case with like a very old client who did an online guitar course where he kept getting the feedback of it's too expensive. I'm like, I don't think it is. I think it's just not very like pitched very well or like it hasn't really shown why it's worth buying and without dropping the price, we rewrote the page and like, yeah, sales like shot up from weekly to daily or something along those lines. Yeah. So like the feedback was kind of valid in that it wasn't hitting the spots and people knew that, but in the way that it, yeah, like the details around that weren't quite right. Is there kind of just like an argument as a startup, like where like barely anyone's using you of just like, 
trying loads of different stuff until it's so obvious that it's right that you've that it's better than you know like you make like with Superbase like I don't know if they did an A/B test they probably mm. wouldn't have had to do an A/B test by the sounds of it where like suddenly everyone just start it is like very obvious that yeah. it's a lot better. I think definitely just do a straight swap if you've got low traffic because you've kind of got nothing to lose at that point. Like you're aiming for a big enough change that it should be hopefully obvious. Yeah. Um, and even people who like make their whole careers about A-B testing will say, yeah, if you're getting only a few conversions a month, don't bother doing an A-B test because it'll take you six months to get a statistically significant like result. Yeah. So... Just throw stuff at the wall. Throw stuff at the wall and talk to people. I think that's a danger of self-serve stuff is that you're not talking to people, even if it's like as a customer support thing. And I think people, you can do market research without pitching it as market research. There's a difference between like, hey, can I talk to you on a call so I can learn about your needs versus just being like, hey, like, more pitching it as a support call. I want to help you make sure you're like you're using the setup correctly and do some small talk at the beginning. Like it's fairly natural to be like, oh, so why? Like I, I'm curious about like why you started using this and what you were doing before. Mm. Like that's kind of just natural small talk before a support yeah. call. So do like onboarding, free onboarding, even though it's not scalable, just so that you can have that chit chat at the start and yeah. do that bit of small talk. Like ah, oh, so what were you using beforehand? Like. I'm curious why you picked this one over the other. And that's just being friendly. I think that's a really, really crucial point. I've not seen many companies do this. I've seen Zuplo. We've had them on the podcast and they mm-hmm. did a, I was trying out their tool and they, they did an onboarding call with me. And I don't remember whether they asked me like those kind of questions, but it was great from my perspective. But if they'd have said, can I do a question, you know, like, market research cool kind yeah. of thing no bugger off yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why would i want to do that even yeah. if you've offered me a 50 dollar amazon voucher which is yeah kind of totally changes the dynamic because mm-hmm. it's like oh actually having a call with someone who's really knowledgeable on this space especially because it was the founder of the early stage companies right yeah how can you make it sound like a good deal for them not yeah. for you not yeah. just for you yeah uh, Zach, if there yeah. was uh, one thing that you would advise uh, early stage dev tools to be doing or not doing, what would it be? Think about your ideal user's current scenario. Like that's the number one thing of like, what are they using already? How much does it bother them? Why does it bother them? Doesn't it like what aspects do they care about? Are they are they even aware that like? security is quite a common one like do they even know that they have an issue that could be fixed like do they know that their website's being probed by malicious people a hundred times a day because if not you're going to have to start it like highlighting that issue or have they written that off as like something that's just a bit inevitable that maybe they can't fix and suddenly they'll be like oh wait there is a solution so yeah always think about your potential users what are they using even if it's like are they doing it manually and are kind of happy with that? Like maybe they don't care about automating it, but maybe they do. Like what's the change that you are suggesting and how do you fit into that potential change? That's and awesome. pitch the upgrade if you need to pitch the upgrade. Don't pitch it as <laughs> your... Yeah, there was one about keyboard SDKs recently where 
that was in the Slack group that we're both in, the DevRel Slack group, where they were saying about, was it in there? Maybe it was someone else saying about like new app builders aren't that bothered about using their keyboard SDK stuff because there's a free option. It's like, well, yeah, of course they would use the free option, but then you could come in later and be like, okay, so now you're getting tired of the free option. Here's now I should use a paid one, which is a completely different like pitch to, oh, so you've started developing an app where you should use our keyboard. Yeah. So you're kind of acknowledging that there is a free mm-hmm. version, but yeah. why it's different. Yeah. Why is your version fixing the problems with their current methodologies so often the pitch for DevTools? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, Zach, thanks so much for joining. You're most welcome. Yeah, and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about Zach, um, I really recommend going to dx.tips and reading Zach's recent article about benefits layers. Um, It's a really good read about messaging on DevTools. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a link in there as well to Zach's page um where you can kind of reach out to him as well it's um, very hard to find it zachgoldie.com zachgoldie.com yeah amazing thanks everyone for listening and see you soon bye bye